section seventeen of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three part seven are you sure of what you are telling me old woman hulot was saying to barbette who had sought him out as soon as she had reached fougeres have you got eyes look at the rocks of saint sulpice there my good man to the right of saint leonard corentin who was with hulot looked towards the summit in the direction pointed out by barbette and as the fog was beginning to lift he could see with some distinctness the column of white smoke the woman told of but when is he coming old woman to-night or this evening my good man said barbette i don't know why do you betray your own side said hulot quickly having drawn her out of hearing of corentin ah general see my boy's foot that's washed in the blood of my man whom the chouan have killed like a calf to punish him for the few words you got out of me the other day when i was working in the fields take my boy for you've deprived him of his father and his mother make a blue of him my good man teach him to kill chouan here there's two hundred crowns keep them for him if he is careful they'll last him long for it took his father twelve years to lay them by hulot looked with amazement at the pale and withered woman whose eyes were dry but you mother he said what will become of you you had better keep the money i she replied shaking her head sadly i don't need anything in this world you might bolt me into that highest tower over there pointing to the battlements of the castle and the chouan would contrive to come and kill me she kissed her boy with an awful expression of grief looked at him wiped away her tears looked at him again and disappeared commandant said corentin this is an occasion when two heads are better than one we know all and yet we know nothing if you surrounded mademoiselle de venuille's house now you will only warn her neither you nor i nor your blues and your battalions are strong enough to get the better of that girl if she takes it into her head to save the sea devant the fellow is brave and consequently wily he is a young man full of daring we can never get hold of him as he enters fougeres perhaps he is here already domiciliary visit absurdity that's no good it would only give them warning well said hulot impatiently i shall tell the sentry on the place saint leonard to keep his eye on the house and pass word along the other sentinels if a young man enters it as soon as the signal reaches me i shall take a corporal and four men and-and said corentin interrupting the old soldier if the young man is not the marquis or if the marquis doesn't go in by the front door or if he is already there if-if-if what then corentin looked at the commandant with so insulting an air of superiority that the old soldier shouted out god's thousand thunders get out of here citizen of hell what have i got to do with your intrigues if that cockchafer buzzes into my guard-room i'll shoot him if i hear he is in a house i shall surround that house and take him when he leaves it and shoot him but may the devil get me if i soil my uniform with any of your tricks commandant the order of the ministers states that you are to obey mademoiselle de venuille let her come and give them to me herself and i'll see about it well citizen said corentin haughtily she shall come 
she shall tell you herself the hour at which she expects the seed de vent possibly she won't be easy till you do post the sentinels round the house the devil is made man thought the old leader as he watched corentin hurrying up the queen's staircase at the foot of which this scene had taken place he means to deliver a montauran bound hand and foot with no chance to fight for his life and i shall be harassed to death with a court-martial however he added shrugging his shoulders the gar certainly is an enemy of the republic and he killed my poor gerard and his death will make a noble the less the devil take him he turned on the heels of his boots and went off whistling the marseillaise to inspect his guard-rooms mademoiselle de venuille was absorbed in one of those meditations the mysteries of which are buried in the soul and proved by their thousand contradictory emotions to the woman who undergoes them that it is possible to have a stormy and passionate existence between four walls without even moving from the ottoman on which her very life is burning itself away she had reached the final scene of the drama she had come to enact and her mind was going over and over the phases of love and anger which had so powerfully stirred her during the ten days which had now elapsed since her first meeting with the marquis a man's step suddenly sounded in the adjoining room and she trembled the door opened she turned quickly and saw corentin you little cheat said the police agent when will you stop deceiving ah marie marie you are playing a dangerous game by not taking me into your confidence why do you play such tricks without consulting me if the marquis escapes his fate it won't be your fault will it she replied sarcastically monsieur she continued in a grave voice by what right do you come into my house your house he exclaimed you remind me she answered coldly that i have no home perhaps you chose this house deliberately for the purpose of committing murder i shall leave it i would live in a desert to get away from spies say the word interrupted corentin but this house is neither yours nor mine it belongs to the government and as for leaving it you will do nothing of the kind he added giving her a diabolical look mademoiselle de venuille rose indignantly made a few steps to leave the room but stopped short suddenly as corentin raised the curtain of the window and beckoned her with a smile to come to him do you see that column of smoke he asked with the calmness he always kept on his livid face however intense his feelings might be what has my departure to do with that burning brush she asked why does your voice tremble he said you poor thing he added in a gentle voice i know all the marquis is coming to fougeres this evening and it is not with any intention of delivering him to us that you have arranged this boudoir and the flowers and candles mademoiselle de venuille turned pale for she saw her lover's death in the eyes of this tiger with a human face and her love for him rose to frenzy each hair on her head caused her an acute pain she could not endure and she fell on the ottoman corentin stood looking at her for a moment with his arms folded half pleased at inflicting a torture which avenged him for the contempt and the sarcasms this woman had heaped upon his head half grieved by the sufferings of a creature whose yoke was pleasant to him heavy as it was she loves him he muttered loves him she cried ah what are words corentin he is my life my soul my breath she flung herself at the feet of the man whose silence terrified her soul of vileness she cried i would rather degrade myself to save his life than degrade myself by betraying him i will save him at the cost of my own blood 
speak what price must i pay you contin quivered i came to take your orders marie he said raising her yes marie your insults will not hinder my devotion to your wishes provided you will promise not to deceive me again you must know by this time that no one dupes me with impunity if you want me to love you corentin help me to save him at what hour is he coming asked the spy endeavouring to ask the question calmly alas i do not know they looked at each other in silence i am lost thought mademoiselle de venille she is deceiving me thought corentin marie he continued i have two maxims one is never to believe a single word a woman says to me that's the only means of not being duped the other is to find what interest she has in doing the opposite of what she says and behaving in contradiction to the facts she pretends to confide to me i think that you and i understand each other now perfectly replied mademoiselle de venouille you want proofs of my good faith but i reserve them for the time when you give me some of yours adieu mademoiselle said corentin coolly nonsense said the girl smiling sit down and pray don't sulk but if you do i shall know how to save the marquis without you as for the three hundred thousand francs which are always spread before your eyes i will give them to you in good gold as soon as the marquis is safe corentin rose stepped back a pace or two and looked at marie you have grown rich in a very short time he said in a tone of ill-disguised bitterness Montaurin, she continued will make you a better offer still for his ransom now then prove to me that you have the means of guaranteeing him from all danger and can't you send him away the moment he arrives cried corentin suddenly hulot does not know he is coming and he stopped as if he had said too much but how absurd that you should ask me how to play a trick he said with an easy laugh now listen marie i do feel certain of your loyalty promise me a compensation for all i lose in furthering your wishes and i will make that old fool of a commandant so unsuspicious that the marquis will be as safe at fougeres as at st james yes i promise it said the girl with a sort of solemnity no not in that way he said swear it by your mother mademoiselle de venouille shuddered raising a trembling hand she made the oath required by the man whose tone to her had changed so suddenly you can command me he said don't deceive me again and you shall have reason to bless me to-night i will trust you corentin cried mademoiselle de venouille much moved she bowed her head gently towards him and smiled with a kindness not unmixed with surprise as she saw an expression of melancholy tenderness on his face what an enchanting creature thought corentin as he left the house shall i ever get her as a means to fortune and a source of delight to fling herself at my feet oh yes the marquis shall die if i can't get that woman in any other way than by dragging her through the mud i'll sink her in it at any rate he thought as he reached the square unconscious of his steps she no longer distrusts me three hundred thousand francs down she thinks me grasping either the offer was a trick or she is already married to him corentin buried in thought was unable to come to a resolution the fog which the sun had dispersed at midday was now rolling thicker and thicker so that he could hardly see the trees at a little distance that's another piece of ill-luck he muttered as he turned slowly homeward it is impossible to see ten feet the weather protects the lovers how is one to watch a house in such a fog who goes there he cried catching the arm of a boy who seemed to have clambered up the dangerous rocks which made the terrace of the promenade 
it is i said a childish voice ah the boy with the bloody foot do you want to revenge your father said corentin yes said the child very good do you know the gar yes good again now don't leave me except to do what i bid you and you will obey your mother and earn some big sous do you like sous yes you like sous and you want to kill the gar who killed your father well i'll take care of you ah marie he muttered after a pause you yourself shall betray him as you engage to do she is too violent to suspect me passion never reflects she does not know the marquise's writing yes i can set a trap into which her nature will drive her headlong but i must first see hulot mademoiselle de venouille and francine were deliberating on the means of saving the marquis from the more than doubtful generosity of corentin and hulot's bayonets i could go and warn him said the breton girl but we don't know where he is replied marie even i with the instincts of love could never find him after making and rejecting a number of plans mademoiselle de venouille exclaimed when i see him his danger will inspire me she thought like other ardent souls to act on the spur of the moment trusting to her star or to that instinct of adroitness which rarely if ever fails a woman perhaps her heart was never so wrung at times she seemed stupefied her eyes were fixed and then at the least noise she shook like a half-uprooted tree which the woodsman drags with a rope to hasten its fall suddenly a loud report from a dozen guns echoed from a distance marie turned pale and grasped francine's hand i am dying she cried they have killed him the heavy footfall of a man was heard in the antechamber francine went out and returned with a corporal the man making a military salute to mademoiselle de venouille produced some letters the covers of which were a good deal soiled receiving no acknowledgment the blue said as he withdrew madame they are from the commandant mademoiselle de venouille a prey to horrible presentiments read a letter written apparently in great haste by hulot mademoiselle a party of my men have just caught a messenger from the gar and have shot him among the intercepted letters is one which may be useful to you and i transmit it etc thank god it was not he they shot she exclaimed flinging the letter into the fire she breathed more freely and took up the other letter enclosed by hulot it was apparently written to madame duguay by the marquis no my angel the letter said i cannot go to-night to la devetiere you must lose your wager with the count i triumph over the republic in the person of their beautiful emissary you must allow that she is worth the sacrifice of one night it will be my only victory in this campaign for i have received the news that la fondée surrenders i can do nothing more in france let us go back to england but we will talk of all this to-morrow the letter fell from marie's hands she closed her eyes and was silent leaning backward with her head on the cushion after a long pause she looked at the clock which then marked four in the afternoon my lord keeps me waiting she said with savage irony oh god grant he may not come cried francine if he does not come said marie in a stifled tone i shall go to him no no he will soon be here francine do i look well you are very pale ah continued mademoiselle de venouille glancing about her this perfumed room the flowers the lights this intoxicating air it is full of, of that celestial life of which i dream marie what has happened i am betrayed deceived insulted fooled i will kill him i will tear him bit by bit yes there was always in his manner a contempt he could not hide and which i would not see oh i shall die of this fool that i am she went on laughing he is coming i have one night in which to teach him that married or not the man who has possessed me cannot abandon me 
i will measure my vengeance by his offence he shall die with despair in his soul i did believe he had a soul of honour but no it is that of a lackey ah he has cleverly deceived me for even now it seems impossible that the man who abandoned me to piyamish should sink to such backstair tricks it is so base to deceive a loving woman for it is so easy he might have killed me if he chose but lie to me to me who held him in my thoughts so high the scaffold the scaffold ah could i only see him guillotined am i cruel he shall go to his death covered with caresses with kisses which might have blessed him for a lifetime marie said francine gently be the victim of your lover like other women not his mistress and his betrayer keep his memory in your heart do not make it an anguish to you if there were no joys in hopeless love what would become of us poor women that we are god of whom you never think marie will reward us for obeying our vocation on this earth to love and suffer dear replied mademoiselle de venouille taking francine's hand and patting it your voice is very sweet and persuasive reason is attractive from your lips i should like to obey you but you will forgive him you will not betray him hush never speak of that man again compared with him corentin is a noble being do you hear me she rose hiding beneath a face that was horribly calm the madness of her soul and a thirst for vengeance the slow and measured step with which she left the room conveyed the sense of an irrevocable resolution lost in thought hugging her insults too proud to show the slightest suffering she went to the guard-room at the port st leonard and asked where the commandant lived she had hardly left her house when corentin entered it oh monsieur corentin cried francine if you are interested in this young man save him mademoiselle has gone to give him up because of this wretched letter corentin took the letter carelessly and asked which way did she go i don't know yes he said i will save her from her own despair he disappeared taking the letter with him when he reached the street he said to gallop chopin's boy whom he had stationed to watch the door which way did a lady go who left the house just now the boy went with him a little way and showed him the steep street which led to the port st leonard that way he said at this moment four men entered mademoiselle de venouille's house unseen by either the boy or corentin return to your watch said the latter play with the handles of the blinds and see what you can inside look about you everywhere even on the roof corentin darted rapidly in the direction given him and thought he recognized mademoiselle de venouille through the fog he did in fact overtake her just as she reached the guard-house where are you going he said you are pale what has happened is it right for you to be out alone take my arm where is the commandant she asked hardly had the words left her lips when she heard the movement of troops beyond the port st leonard and distinguished hulot's gruff voice in the tumult god's thunder he cried i never saw such fog as this for a reconnaissance the guard must have ordered the weather what are you complaining of said mademoiselle de venouille grasping his arm the fog will cover vengeance as well as perfidy commandant she added in a low voice you must take measures at once so that the guard may not escape us is he at your house he asked in a tone which showed his amazement not yet she replied but give me a safe man and i will send him to you when the marquis comes that's a mistake said corentin a soldier will alarm him but a boy and i can find one will not commandant said mademoiselle de venouille thanks to this fog which you are cursing you can surround my house put soldiers everywhere place a guard in the church to command the esplanade on which the windows of my salon open postmen on the promenade for though the windows of my bedroom are twenty feet above the ground despair does sometimes give a man the power to jump even greater distances safely listen to what i say 
i shall probably send this gentleman out of the door of my house therefore see that only brave men are there to meet him for she added with a sigh no one denies him courage he will assuredly defend himself goudin called the commandant listen my lad he continued in a low voice when the young man joined him this devil of a girl is betraying the gar to us i'm sure i don't know why but that's no matter take ten men and place yourself so as to hold the cul-de-sac in which the house stands be careful that no one sees either you or your men yes commandant i know the ground very good said hulot i'll send beaupier to let you know when to play your sabres try to meet the marquis yourself and if you can manage to kill him so that i shan't have to shoot him judicially you shall be a lieutenant in a fortnight or my name's not hulot goudin departed with a dozen soldiers do you know what you have done said corentin to mademoiselle de vigny in a low voice she made no answer but looked with a sort of satisfaction at the men who were starting under command of the sub-lieutenant for the promenade while others following the next orders given by hulot were to post themselves in the shadows of the church of st leonard there are houses adjoining mine she said you'd better surround them all don't lay up regrets by neglecting a single precaution she is mad thought hulot was i not a prophet asked corentin in his ear as for the boy i shall send with her he is the little gar with a bloody foot therefore he did not finish his sentence for mademoiselle de venuille by a sudden movement darted in the direction of her house whither he followed her whistling like a man supremely satisfied when he overtook her she was already at the door of her house where galop chopin's little boy was on the watch mademoiselle said corentin take the lad with you you cannot have a more innocent or active emissary boy he added when you have seen the gar enter the house come to me no matter who stops you you'll find me at the guard house and i'll give you something that will make you eat cake for the rest of your days at these words breathed rather than said in the child's ear corentin felt his hand squeezed by that of the little breton who followed mademoiselle de vigny into the house now my good friends you can come to an explanation as soon as you like cried corentin when the door was closed if you make love my little marquis it will be on your winding-sheet but corentin could not bring himself to let that fatal house completely out of sight and he went to the promenade where he found the commandant giving his last orders by this time it was night two hours went by but the sentinels posted at intervals noticed nothing that led them to suppose the marquis had evaded the triple line of men who surrounded the three sides by which the tower of papago was accessible twenty times had corentin gone from the promenade to the guard-room always to find that his little emissary had not appeared sunk in thought the spy paced the promenade slowly enduring the martyrdom to which three passions terrible in their clashing subject a man love avarice and ambition eight o'clock struck from all the towers in the town the moon rose late fog and darkness wrapped in impenetrable gloom the places where the drama planned by this man was coming to its climax he was able to silence the struggle of his passions as he walked up and down his arms crossed and his eyes fixed on the windows which rose like the luminous eyes of a phantom above the rampart the deep silence was broken only by the rippling of the nonsense by the regular and lugubrious tolling from the belfries by the heavy steps of the sentinels or the rattle of arms as the guard was hourly relieved the night's as thick as a wolf's jaw said the voice of pillemiche go on growled marchater and don't talk more than a dead dog i'm hardly breathing said the chouan if the man who made that stone roll down wants his heart to serve as the scabbard for my knife you'll do it again said marchater in a low voice scarcely heard above the flowing of the river it was i said pillemiche well then old money-bag down on your stomach said the other 
and wriggle like a snake through a hedge or we shall leave our carcasses behind us sooner than we need hey marchartere said the incorrigible pianiche who was using his hands to drag himself along on his stomach and had reached the level of his comrade's ear if the grand garce is to be believed there'll be a fine booty to-day will you go shares with me look here pianiche said marchartere stopping short on the flat of his stomach the other chouans who were accompanying the two men did the same so wearied were they with the difficulties they had met with in climbing the precipice i know you continued marchartere for a jack rabble who would rather give blows than receive them when there's nothing else to be done we have not come here to grab dead men's shoes we are devils against devils and sorrow to those whose claws are too short the grand garce has sent us here to save the gar he is up there lift your dog's nose and see that window above the tower midnight was striking the moon rose giving the appearance of white smoke to the fog pillemiche squeezed marchartere's arm and silently showed him on the terrace just above them the triangular iron of several shining bayonets the blues are there already said pillemiche we shan't gain anything by force patience replied marchartere if i examine right this morning we must be at the foot of the papa go tower between the ramparts and the promenade that place where they put the manure it is like a feather-bed to fall on if st labre remarked pillemiche would only change into cider the blood we shall shed to-night the citizens might lay in a good stock to-morrow marchartere laid his large hand over his friend's mouth then an order muttered by him went from rank to rank of the chouans suspended as they were in mid-air among the brambles of the slate rocks corentin walking up and down the esplanade had too practised an ear not to hear the rustling of the shrubs and the light sound of pebbles rolling down the sides of the precipice marchartere who seemed to possess the gift of seeing in darkness and whose senses continually in action were acute as those of a savage saw corentin like a trained dog he had scented him fouché's diplomatist listened but heard nothing he looked at the natural wall of rock and saw no signs if the confusing gleam of the fog enabled him to see here and there a crouching chouan he took him no doubt for a fragment of rock for these human bodies had all the appearance of inert nature this danger to the invaders was of short duration corentin's attention was diverted by a very distinct noise coming from the other end of the promenade where the rock wall ended and a steep descent leading down to the queen's staircase began when corentin reached the spot he saw a figure gliding past it as if by magic putting out his hand to grasp this real or fantastic being who was there he supposed with no good intentions he encountered the soft and rounded figure of a woman the devil take you he exclaimed if any one else had met you you'd have had a ball through your head what are you doing and where are you going at this time of night are you dumb it certainly is a woman he said to himself the silence was suspicious but the stranger broke it by saying in a voice which suggested extreme fright all oh, my good man i am on my way back from a wake it is the pretended mother of the marquis thought corentin i'll see what she's about well go that way old woman he replied feigning not to recognize her keep to the left if you don't want to be shot he stood quite still then observing that madame de Gois was making for the papa go tower he followed her at a distance with diabolical caution during this fatal encounter the chouans had posted themselves in the manure towards which marchartere had guided them there's the grand garce thought marchartere as he rose to his feet against the tower wall like a bear we are here he said to her in a low voice good she replied there's a ladder in the garden of that house about six feet above the manure find it and the gar is saved do you see that small window up there it is in the dressing-room you must get to it this side of the tower 
is the only one not watched the horses are ready if you can hold the passage over the nansan a quarter of an hour will put him out of danger in spite of his folly but if that woman tries to follow him stab her corentin now saw several of the forms he had hitherto supposed to be stones moving cautiously but swiftly he went at once to the guard-room at the port st leonard where he found the commandant fully dressed and sound asleep on a camp bed let him alone said beaupier roughly he has only just lain down the chouan are here cried corentin in hulot's ear impossible but so much the better cried the old soldier still half asleep then he can fight when hulot reached the promenade corentin pointed out to him their singular position taken by the chouan they must have deceived or strangled the sentries i placed between the castle and the queen's staircase ah what a devil of a fog however patience i'll send a squad of men under a lieutenant to the foot of the rock there is no use attacking them where they are for those animals are so hard they'd let themselves roll down the precipice without breaking a limb the cracked clock of the belfry was ringing too when the commandant got back to the promenade after giving these orders and taking every military precaution to seize the chouan the sentries were doubled and mademoiselle de venouille's house became the centre of a little army hulot found corentin absorbed in contemplation of the window which overlooked the tower citizen said the commandant i think the sea devant has fooled us there's nothing stirring he is there cried corentin pointing to the window i have seen a man's shadow on the curtain but i can't think what has become of that boy they must have killed him or locked him up there commandant don't you see that there's a man's shadow come come on i shan't seize him in bed thunder of god he will come out if he went in goudin won't miss him cried hulot who had his own reason for waiting till the guard could defend himself commandant i enjoin you in the name of the law to proceed at once into that house you're a fine scoundrel to try to make me do that without showing any resentment at the commandant's language corentin said coolly you will obey me here is an order in good form signed by the minister of war which will force you to do so he drew a paper from his pocket and held it out do you suppose we are such fools as to leave that girl to do as she likes we are endeavouring to suppress a civil war and the grandeur of the purpose covers the pettiness of the means i take the liberty citizen of sending you to you understand me enough to the right about march or it will be the worse for you but read that persisted corentin don't bother me with your functions cried hulot furious at receiving orders from a man he regarded as contemptible at this instant gallop chopin's boy suddenly appeared among them like a rat from a hole the gar has started he cried which way the rue st leonard beaupier said hulot in a whisper to the corporal who was near him go and tell your lieutenant to draw in closer round the house and make ready to fire left wheel forward on the tower the rest of you he shouted to understand the conclusion of this fatal drama we must re-enter the house with mademoiselle de venouille when she returned to it after denouncing the marquis to the commandant when passions reach their crisis they bring us under the dominion of far greater intoxication than the petty excitements of wine or opium the lucidity then given to ideas the delicacy of the high-wrought senses produce the most singular and unexpected effects some persons when they find themselves under the tyranny of a single thought can see with extraordinary distinctness objects scarcely visible to others while at the same time the most palpable things become to them almost as if they did not exist when mademoiselle de venouille hurried after reading the marquise's letter to prepare the way for vengeance just as she had lately been preparing all for love she was in that stage of mental intoxication which makes real life like the life of a somnambulist but when she saw her house surrounded 
by her own orders with a triple line of bayonets a sudden flash of light illuminated her soul she judged her conduct and saw with horror that she had committed a crime under the first shock of this conviction she sprang to the threshold of the door and stood there irresolute striving to think yet unable to follow out her reasoning she knew so vaguely what had happened that she tried in vain to remember why she was in the antechamber and why she was leading a strange child by the hand a million of stars were floating in the air before her like tongues of fire she began to walk about striving to shake off the horrible torpor which laid hold of her but like one asleep no object appeared to her under its natural form or in its own colours she grasped the hand of the little boy with a violence not natural to her dragging him along with such precipitate steps that she seemed to have the motions of a madwoman she saw neither persons nor things in the salon as she crossed her and yet she was saluted by three men who made way to let her pass that must be she said one of them she is very handsome exclaimed another who was a priest yes replied the first but how pale and agitated and beside herself said the third she did not even see us at the door of her own room mademoiselle de venouille saw the smiling face of francine who whispered to her he is here marie mademoiselle de venouille awoke reflected looked at the child whose hand she held remembered all and replied to the girl shut up that boy if you wish me to live do not let him escape you as she slowly said the words her eyes were fixed on the door of her bedroom and there they continued fastened with so dreadful a fixedness that it seemed as if she saw her victim through the wooden panels then she gently opened it passed through and closed it behind her without turning round for she saw the marquis standing before the fireplace his dress without being too choice had the look of careful arrangement which adds so much to the admiration which a woman feels for her lover all her self-possession came back to her at the sight of him her lips rigid although half open showed the enamel of her white teeth and formed a smile that was fixed and terrible rather than voluptuous she walked with slow steps toward the young man and pointed with her finger to the clock a man who is worthy of love is worth waiting for she said with deceptive gaiety then overcome with the violence of her emotions she dropped upon the sofa which was near the fireplace dear marie you are so charming when you are angry said the marquis sitting down beside her and taking her hand which she let him take and entreating a look which she refused him i hope he continued in a tender caressing voice that my wife will not long refuse a glance to her loving husband hearing the words she turned abruptly and looked into his eyes what is the meaning of that dreadful look he said laughing but your hand is burning oh my love what is it your love she repeated in a dull changed voice yes he said throwing himself on his knees beside her and taking her two hands which he covered with kisses yes my love i am thine for life she pushed him violently away from her and rose her features contracted she laughed as mad people laugh and then she said to him you do not mean one word of all you are saying base man baser than the lowest villain she sprang to the dagger which was lying beside a flower vase and let it sparkle before the eyes of the amazed young marquis bah she said flinging it away from her i do not respect you enough to kill you your blood is even too vile to be shed by soldiers i see nothing fit for you but the executioner the words were painfully uttered in a low voice and she moved her feet like a spoiled child impatiently the marquis went to her and tried to clasp her don't touch me she cried recoiling from him with a look of horror she is mad said the marquis in despair mad yes she repeated but not mad enough to be your dupe what would i not forgive to passion but to seek to possess me without love and to write to that woman to whom have i written he said with an astonishment which was certainly not feigned to that chaste woman who sought to kill me the marquis turned pale with anger 
and said grasping the back of a chair until he broke it if madame dugois has committed some dastardly wrong mademoiselle de venille looked for the letter not finding it she called to francine where is that letter she asked monsieur corentin took it corentin ah i understand it all he wrote the letter he has deceived me with diabolical art as he alone can deceive with a piercing cry she flung herself on the sofa tears rushing from her eyes doubt and confidence were equally dreadful now the marquis knelt beside her and clasped her to his breast saying again and again the only words he was able to utter why do you weep my darling there is no harm done your reproaches were all love do not weep i love you i shall always love you suddenly he felt her press him with almost supernatural force do you still love me she said amid her sobs can you doubt it he replied in a tone that was almost melancholy she abruptly disengaged herself from his arms and fled as if frightened and confused to a little distance do i doubt it she exclaimed but a smile of gentle meaning was on her lover's face and the words died away from her lips she let him take her by the hand and lead her to the salon there an altar had been hastily arranged during her absence the priest was robed in his officiating vestments the lighted tapers shed upon the ceiling a glow as soft as hope itself she now recognized two men who had bowed to her the comte de bauvin and the baron du genic the witnesses chosen by montauran you will not still refuse said the marquis but at the sight she stopped stepped backward into her chamber and fell on her knees raising her hands towards the marquis she cried out pardon 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 her voice died away her head fell back her eyes closed and she lay in the arms of her lover and francine as if dead when she opened her eyes they met those of the young man full of loving tenderness marie patience this is your last trial he said the last she exclaimed bitterly francine and the marquis looked at each other in surprise but she silenced them by a gesture call the priest she said and leave me alone with him they did so and withdrew my father she said to the priest so suddenly called to her in my childhood an old man white-haired like yourself used to tell me that god would grant all things to those who had faith is that true it is true replied the priest all things are possible to him who created all mademoiselle de venille threw herself on her knees before him with incredible enthusiasm oh my god she cried in ecstasy my faith in thee is equal to my love for him inspire me do hear a miracle or take my life your prayer will be granted said the priest marie returned to the salon leaning on the arm of the venerable old man a deep and secret emotion brought her to the arms of her lover more brilliant than on any of her past days for a serenity like that which painters give to the martyrs added to her face an imposing dignity she held out her hand to the marquis and together they advanced to the altar and knelt down the marriage was about to be celebrated beside the nuptial bed the altar hastily raised the cross the vessels the chalice secretly brought thither by the priest the fumes of incense rising to the ceiling the priest himself who wore a stole above his cassock the tapers on an altar in a salon all these things combined to form a strange and touching scene which typified those times of saddest memory when civil discord overthrew all sacred institutions religious ceremonies then had the savour of the mysteries children were baptized in the chambers where the mothers were still groaning from their labour as in the olden time the saviour went poor and lowly to console the dying young girls received their first communion in the home where they had played since infancy the marriage of the marquis and mademoiselle de venille was now solemnized like many other unions by a service contrary to the recent legal enactments in after years these marriages mostly celebrated at the foot of oaks were scrupulously recognized and considered legal 
the priest who thus preserved the ancient usages was one of those men who hold to their principles in the height of the storm his voice which never made the oath exacted by the republic uttered no word throughout the tempest that did not make for peace he never incited like the abbe goudin to fire and sword but like many others he devoted himself to the still more dangerous mission of performing his priestly functions for the souls of faithful catholics to accomplish this perilous ministry he used all the pious deceptions necessitated by persecution and the marquis when he sought his services on this occasion had found him in one of those excavated caverns which are known even to the present day by the name of the priest's hiding-place the mere sight of that pale and suffering face was enough to give this worldly room a holy aspect all was now ready for the act of misery and of joy before beginning the ceremony the priest asked in the dead silence the names of the bride marie natalie daughter of mademoiselle blanche de castron abbess deceased of notre dame de Cise, and victor amade duc de venille where born at la chasterie near alençon i never supposed said the baron in a low voice to the count that montauran would have the folly to marry her the natural daughter of a duke horrid if it were of the king well and good replied the comte du bavon smiling however it is not for me to blame him i like charette's mistress full and well and i shall transfer the war to her though she's not one to bill and coo the names of the marquis had been filled in previously and the two lovers now signed the document with their witnesses their ceremony then began at that instant marie and she alone heard the sound of muskets and the heavy tread of soldiers no doubt relieving the guard in the church which she had herself demanded she trembled violently and raised her eyes to the cross on the altar a saint at last said francine in a low voice give me such saints and i'll be devilishly devout added the count in a whisper when the priest made the customary inquiry of mademoiselle de venouille she answered by a yes uttered with a deep sigh bending to her husband's ear she said you will soon know why i have broken the oath i made never to marry you after the ceremony all present passed into the dining-room where dinner was served and as they took their places jeremy marie's footman came into the room terrified the poor bride rose and went to him francine followed her with one of those pretexts which never fail a woman she begged the marquis to do the honours for a moment and went out taking jeremy with her before he could utter the fatal words ah francine to be dying a thousand deaths and not to die she cried this absence might well be supposed to have its cause in the ceremony that had just taken place towards the end of the dinner as the marquis was beginning to feel uneasy marie returned in all the pomp of a bridal robe her face was calm and joyful while that of francine who followed her had terror imprinted on every feature so that the guests might well have thought they saw in these two women a fantastic picture by salvator rosa of life and death holding each other by the hand gentlemen said marie to the priest the baron and the count you are my guests for the night i find you cannot leave fougere it would be dangerous to attempt it my good maid has instructions to make you comfortable in your apartments no you must not rebel she added to the priest who was about to speak i hope you will not thwart a woman on her wedding day an hour later she was alone with her husband in the room she had so joyously arranged a few hours earlier they had reached that fatal bed where like a tomb so many hopes are wrecked where the waking to a happy life is all uncertain where love is born or dies according to the natures that are tried there marie looked at the clock six hours to live she murmured can i have slept she cried toward morning wakening with one of those sudden movements which rouse us when we have made ourselves a promise to wake at a certain hour yes i have slept she thought seeing by the light of the candles that the hands of the clock were pointing to two in the morning she turned and looked at the sleeping marquis lying like a child with his head on one hand 
the other clasping his wife's hand his lips half smiling as though he had fallen asleep while she kissed him ah she whispered to herself he sleeps like an infant he does not distrust me me to whom he has given a happiness without a name she touched him softly and he awoke continuing to smile he kissed the hand he held and looked at the wretched woman with eyes so sparkling that she did not endure their light and slowly lowered her large eyelids her husband might justly have accused her of coquetry if she were not concealing the terrors of her soul by thus evading the fire of his looks together they raised their charming heads and made each other a sign of gratitude for the pleasures they had tasted but after a rapid glance at the beautiful picture his wife presented the marquis was struck with an expression on her face which seemed to him melancholy and he said in a tender voice why sad dear love poor alphonse she answered do you know to what i have led you to happiness to death shuddering with horror she sprang from the bed the marquis astonished followed her his wife motioned him to a window and raised the curtain pointing as she did so to a score of soldiers the moon had scattered the fog and was now casting her white light on the muskets and the uniforms on the impassable quarantine pacing up and down like a jackal waiting for his prey on the commandant standing still his arms crossed his nose in the air his lips curling watchful and displeased come marie leave them and come back to me why do you smile i place them there you are dreaming no they looked at each other for a moment the marquis divined the whole truth and he took her in his arms no matter he said i love you still all is not lost cried marie it cannot be alphonse she said after a pause there is hope at this moment they distinctly heard the owl's cry and francine entered from the dressing-room pierre has come she said with a joy that was like delirium the marquise and francine dressed montaigne in chouan clothes with that amazing rapidity that belongs only to women as soon as marie saw her husband loading the gun francine had brought in she slipped hastily from the room with a sign to her faithful maid francine then took the marquis to the dressing-room adjoining the bedchamber the young man seeing a large number of sheets nodded firmly together perceived the means by which the girl expected him to escape the vigilance of the soldiers i can't get through there he said examining the bull's-eye window at that instant it was darkened by a thick-set figure and a hoarse voice known to francine said in a whisper make haste general those rascally blues are stirring oh one more kiss said a trembling voice beside him the marquis whose feet were already on the liberating ladder though he was not wholly through the window felt his neck clasped with a despairing pressure seeing that his wife had put on his clothes he tried to detain her but she tore herself roughly from his arms and he was forced to descend in his hands he held a fragment of some stuff which the moonlight showed him was a piece of the waistcoat he had worn the night before halt fire these words uttered by hulot in the midst of a silence that was almost horrible broke the spell which seemed to hold the men and their surroundings a volley of balls coming from the valley and reaching to the foot of the tower succeeded the discharges of the blues posted on the promenade not a cry came from the chouan between each discharge the silence was frightful but quarantin had heard a fall from the ladder on the precipice side of the tower and he suspected some ruse none of those animals are growling he said to hulot our lovers are capable of fooling us on this side and escaping themselves on the other the spy to clear up the mystery sent for torches hulot understanding the force of quarantin's supposition and hearing the noise of a serious struggle in the direction of the port st leonard rushed to the guard-house exclaiming that's true they won't separate his head is well riddled commandant said beaupier who was the first to meet him but he killed Goudin and wounded two men ah the savage he got through three ranks of our best men and would have reached the fields if it hadn't been for the sentry at the gate who spitted him on his bayonet the commandant rushed into the guard-room 
and saw on a camp bedstead a bloody body which had just been laid there he went up to the supposed marquis raised the hat which covered the face and fell into a chair i suspected it he cried crossing his arms violently she kept him cursed thunder too long the soldiers stood about motionless the commandant himself unfastened the long black hair of a woman suddenly the silence was broken by the tramp of men and corentin entered the guard-room preceding four soldiers who bore on their guns crossed to make a litter the body of montaurin who was shot in the thighs and arms they laid him on the bedstead beside his wife he saw her and found strength to clasp her hand with a convulsive gesture the dying woman turned her head recognized her husband and shuddered with a spasm that was horrible to see murmuring in a voice almost extinct a day without a morrow god heard me too well commandant said the marquis collecting all his strength and still holding marie's hand i count on your honour to send the news of my death to my young brother who is now in london write him that if he wishes to obey my last injunction he will never bear arms against his country neither must he abandon the king's service it shall be done said hulot pressing the hand of the dying man take them to the nearest hospital cried corentin hulot took the spy by the arm with a grip that left the imprint of his fingers on the flesh out of this camp he cried your business is done here look well at the face of commander hulot and never find yourself again in his way if you don't want your belly to be the scabbard of his blade and the older soldier flourished his sabre that's another of the honest men who will never make their way said corentin to himself when he was some distance from the guard-room the marquis was still able to thank his gallant adversary by a look marking the respect which all soldiers feel for loyal enemies in eighteen twenty seven an old man accompanied by his wife was buying cattle in the market-place of fougeres few persons remembered that he had killed a hundred or more men and that his former name was marchater a person to whom we owe important information about all the personages of this drama saw him there leading a cow and was struck by his simple ingenuous air which led her to remark that must be a worthy man as for cibot otherwise called billemiche we already know his end it is likely that marchater made some attempt to save his comrade from the scaffold possibly he was in the square at alenon on the occasion of the frightful tumult which was one of the events of the famous trial of riffel briand and la chanterie End of section seventeen end of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley